Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. Hey, it's Tommy. Um, if you don't currently have an ops management platform like Ops Analytica in your business, then I hate to be the one to tell you, but you are losing to your competitors that do. It is 2021. If you honestly believe that the world we live in today with technology the way it is, that you can still compete with other chains that have real-time visibility into their operations, that have the ability to identify issues, to crowdsource solutions, and are able to then roll out process changes in hours or a day or two versus weeks or months, if you think you can beat them, then you are crazy, right? I see what our clients are doing with our platform every day. They are incrementally getting better because they manage their entire system like a GM manages a restaurant. You cannot compete with that. Data is not going away. Technology is not going away. You cannot operate like this is 1985 anymore. You have to get real about your operations. You can't back into it by looking at customer satisfaction and food costs and labor costs and all that stuff. You got to have real-time ops data so you can manage your business better. And Ops Analytica is dying to help you make that transformation. Uh, check us out at opsanalytica.com. Hey there, Order Up Show. Guess who's back? It's me, Tommy. I am back with another interview. Please let me welcome Kieran Dwyer. How are you doing, Kieran? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks, Tommy. How are you, mate? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Appreciate you taking the time today to jump on the show with us. No um, worries. Thanks for having yeah. me. So Kieran is uh, out of New York, but he's originally from Australia, as you can tell by the accent. Um so, Kieran, uh, as you know, we go through five questions, and my favorite question is question number one. So explain what you do today, and then take us through your career path and how you got there. Yeah, sure, sure. So today uh, I work as uh, the co-head of strategy and a co-founder of Charlie Street. And so Charlie Street was co-founded uh, with myself and three other partners. We're a better-for-you food company and with aspirations of, of changing everyday Americans' uh, diet choices, essentially. And, and how we do that is by providing cost-effective food um, that's got you know superior nutritional qualities. And then in addition to that, predominantly um, angling towards uh, plant-based diets. So we, we actually started in, in 2018, which which seems like you know so long ago now, given given what happened last year. Um, we started in in New York City by opening up our first flagship fast casual restaurant um, in Manhattan. Um, you know, and, and today we're we're moving towards you know expanding our business into the you know the CPG vertical by you know selling our plant based products through the D 2 C and, and retail channels. So. You know, my core focus at, at Charlie Street is I co-lead the creation of our new CPG business and as well as the strategy of, of that entity. And in addition to that, just based on being the CFO as well, I manage all the financials and all the investor relations, including, you know, raising, you know, rounds of capital um, to fund the launch of our, of our new business, uh, et cetera. So that's that's really what I what I do um, at, at Charlie Street in terms of the, the restaurant operations. You know, it's I I give the the credit to, to my other partners there. My involvement is is quite minimal on the restaurant side of things, just given my my skill set. 
So hats off to, to Dan, Kyle, um, as well as previously Aaron that, that, that managed the, the restaurant side of the business. Uh, and prior to, to joining Charlie Street, a little bit of a different kind of background. You know, I didn't spend a, really any time in the hospitality um, space prior. So I, I worked at Stepstone Group, uh, which is a, a global assets manager inside of New York City. And what I did there for, for three years, I was working on the investment team and, and, and focused on private equity and venture um, deals. So, you know, I've been you know, very fortunate. Uh, those three years at, at StepZone were, were incredibly uh, you know, beneficial to, to me, um, given what I want to do kind of long term. And, you know, being able to brainstorm with, with some of the smartest folks in the industry and, and learn from them was, was definitely beneficial to, you know, even ways that we think about raising money for Charlie Street, et cetera. So um, that was fantastic. And then, and then prior to Stepstone, I, I lived in Melbourne, Australia. So I've, I've just been in America for about, you know, six years now. Um, lived in Melbourne, Australia, and I operated a small investment management business underneath uh, the umbrella of a company called Shore & Partners, which is a, a large investment management corporate advisory firm back, back in Australia. And, you know, upon leaving to, to New York City, I was, I was very fortunate to be able to, to sell my, my business back to, to Shore & Partners. And, and that really allowed me to, to have the runway to, to take a shot and to, to leave Melbourne and, and come to New York kind of without a job and, and uh, work my way up from there. So that's, and that's really my background. Cool. So you're in Australia, you're doing finance. You say, I got to get out of Australia. Why did you want to leave Australia? Just out of curiosity. Look, it's, 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 it's a hard one to answer because I'm very, very close to my family and my friends. Like I've got, you know, great roots back in Australia and I, I love the country. Um, you know, obviously everyone in the United States appreciates it for its beauty and its laid back um, and kind of underdog characteristics. <laughs> the, I guess like just, you know, I grew up um, in a great household, started to, to look at finance in, in school and, and, you know, work towards getting a bachelor's and a master's degree and really became like all I really wanted to talk about was investing with, with friends and, and family and it, it just it wasn't, you know, it's not the right city, Melbourne, nor is, or is Sydney, if you want to, um, you know, kind of go to that next step. While there's you know, plenty of opportunities and, and you know, continues to grow, is, is New York City is, you know, renowned yeah. as being, you know, one of the best um, in the world. So I, I, I came here because I, I had every intention of working in PE or, or venture capital in, in New York City. Sure. Uh, that makes sense. So talk about... Uh... Talk about Charlie Street, the restaurant, and then talk about let's talk about the CPG as well. The the frozen line is it frozen line? I don't. Yeah, I that's just correct. Assumed it, but yeah, okay. So yeah, let's talk about yeah. the restaurant. Yeah, sure, sure. So we we kicked off in in 2018 as a fast casual concept slash cafe. So a little bit different to your typical um, you know fast casual chain such as Sweet Green or, or Dig In, but then. Also a different take on some of the cafes that you'd be familiar with in New York City, some of the really popular and great ones like Banter, um, for example, Sunny Boy. Um, so the, the restaurant itself is uh, located in, in Nolita. Uh, we have about 20 seats in, indoors and other you know, 15 outdoors as well. It's a breakfast and lunch orientated concept. So we're only open till 3 p.m. each day. The majority of our business is done you know, in the first couple of hours and then over lunch. And, and what we offer is, um, you know, very healthy bowls, you know, open-faced toasts, uh, really anything that you can think of um, that has a little bit of Australian, um, you know, aspect to it, such as, you know, the typical avocado toast is something that we sell. 
um, that does quite well. We've got a high-end, you know, coffee brand uh, that we use out of Portland, Oregon, called uh, Proud Mary. Um, and yeah, that's and obviously last year was very, very challenging for us, but we've we've been able to to manage to keep the lights on through the support, you know, of, the, of our community and and some um, helping hands along the way. And and you know, today we've you know we we continue to to strive in that area and and provide the same you know quality food um, and experience to, to all of our customers. So um, it has it definitely hasn't come without its challenges, but we're you know we're we're happy that we've made it through. So would you say the split on the business is about like 50-50 coffee to food or is it 60-40? Like, because like, you know, that's not a huge restaurant for New York's, for New York rent. So you, you got to be doing a good takeout business or a huge coffee business that's offsetting that. Is that, would that be a fair assumption? Yeah, so no, so you're right, and they're, they're fair enough assumptions. It's not uh, obviously an easy, easy business running, um, you know, restaurant inside of New York City. The the, the costs are absurd. We we do well because of our repeat customer base. So we have about a seventy five percent split um, for food. So it's predominantly food that that we sell. Huh. Um, but just given the fact that whilst you know the seats are typically full in the in the um, you know the uh, higher end hours of the, of the day the the fact that we have delivery um as well has also been um a, a big ticket for us um but uh, you know i wouldn't say that that's a it's a huge uh thing that moves the needle for us delivery it is predominantly takeout and um dining that, that people are uh, um you know purchasing from charlie street cool okay and then let's talk so and then is it, it i'm looking here at the website as we're talking right but like you're obviously really big into plant-based food, but it, it does, you know, talk to you about that. Why is your passion around this plant-based, around the plant-based food? Let's just jump in there a little bit. Yeah, sure. So look, obviously the, the, the business that we're creating alongside Charlie Street, the CPG business is strictly focused on, on launching uh, plant-based alternative proteins to the marketplace. But but taking a step sure. back to, to, to the restaurant concept, because this is where all of our recipes have been, you know, um, have started, Tested. right, is uh, from day one, uh, we've very much lent towards a model where we're not serving meats or eggs or, or milk. Like we give that option to people just for eggs and some chicken as well. But everything on our uh, menu is, you know, gluten-free, ability to be vegan, um, only made from whole foods, no artificial ingredients, binding agents, et cetera. So it's just, it's just part of our, our mandate as, as restaurant owners. We don't have any of those things in our, in our uh, cafe slash restaurant. And as we move towards, you know, expanding our business through the CPG vertical is our plant-based products have actually generated by far the most interest and by far the most success. And, and, you know, we're not talking about economics, you know, whatsoever. It's purely based on on taste and the customer's, you know, uh, preference is, you know, New York City is a very, you know, forward, I would say, you know, approach to, to diets. So, you know, it's it's much easier to have a business that is, you know, focused on providing plant-based healthy meals, I would say, in New York City than, than some other areas of the country. So that has definitely benefited us. And as we move towards expanding the our plant-based mission is it really derives from from the fact is we're trying to make change at, at Charlie Street. So we're trying to change the way that people um, not only what they consume on a day-to-day basis, but how they consume those things. So our goal isn't to turn everybody into vegan or vegetarians, far from it. 
Um, we actually you know, make that very clear when, when talking to folks that we don't think that that's the best way to, to affect change is we understand that there's always going to be people that want to eat meat, um, you know, from chicken all the way to the, kind of the worst culprit uh, beef. What we don't want to do is alienate those those people with the new brand is we want to have a community where everyone doesn't have to feel, um, you know, in, in a bad place just because they have meat every so often, right? Like we want to have a, a product that's inclusive for everyone and a product that tastes so good that irrespective if you're vegan, vegetarian or a meat eater or flexitarian, whatever you may be, that you will gravitate towards that product um, just because it, it tastes amazing. So that's that's how we think about you know launching our, our plant-based products is we don't advertise them as vegan, we don't advertise them as vegetarian whatsoever. We just advertise them as great tasting, um, superior nutritional profile products. And it's so far as it's worked today, especially at the restaurant. Yeah, and what you know, a couple of things about that. One is you know, so many people in the CPG space don't have a restaurant, right? So they just have a bunch of chefs and marketing people sitting in a test kitchen, you know, coming up with stuff. And then they, they obviously do focus groups and stuff. But there is no better focus group than a restaurant. You know what I mean? Because then you can actually see it in the real world, right? Like, and and also, too, and granted, if you're, in this, if you're solely in the CPG space, then the whole idea is, is that you'll be able to recreate it, you know. At scale, right? That's the whole point of that. But like, um, but being able to see people eat it and then tweak it over time and watch people's reactions. And, you know, I'm sure you have your servers and everybody listening and your count, your counter people listening going, Hey, you know, what are people saying about this? But I think it really probably enhances your business because you get the real feedback from people right and you can see how it is to produce a consistency over time and then over the seasons as vegetables change and all that kind of stuff happens but so i I applaud you for that because i think that's really cool way to kind of test market your products if you will um Hold on, sorry. Yeah, thank you. No, th- thank you. Like that's obviously um, you know greatly appreciated. It, it certainly has its its benefits. You're right. Like being able to serve our you know our plant based chorizo, our plant based bolognese, you know, to live customers every single day and get feedback. You know, it has you know a tremendous amount of uh, benefits to us, and it helps us prove the point that these products are you know in a good position to to launch into other verticals. But as you said, like it's not it's not all uh, fantastic, right? Like by creating a product inside of a restaurant, it certainly has its challenges when you try to get that to, to scale. Um, you know, I can't tell like the, the amount of um, issues that we've had over time and the amount of iterations that we've had to do over the last 12 months to get this product ready um, from, you know, keeping the taste, nutrition, but then also from a safety distribution perspective as well is, you know, that's not something that you typically, um, some of the hurdles that you have to, you know, jump over with CPG, you don't really need to do inside of the restaurant space. So, yeah, you know, it, it's a, it's certainly been a, a learning curve, but I, I think it's been the, you know, the right way for us to, to go to market. Um, and so where, uh, I just have a quick question. So where are you, do you have like a production kitchen as well? That's like FDA inspected and all that, or are you doing it all out of the restaurant? Yeah, we sure do. So we've actually got two uh, two facilities that are working with us, um, both off-site, and they create our products. Um, and then from there, they are kept uh, frozen and then uh, housed at our fulfillment center. 
So we, you know, sure. obviously it's it's a, a much better business model when you can engage a group that's uh, specifically focused on providing that service, and and that's something that um, you know we've we've been able to do. And then, where are you selling your products? Yeah, so right now we sell them in the store, so just for people walking in and out, um, etc. And then our launch will be done via our new branding and our new e-commerce platform. Um, pretty much the second week of, of August. So we're about six wow. weeks out from actual launch. So uh, it's great talking talking to, to you about this and, and everyone that's kind of comes in and out of the restaurant are, are well aware of what we're doing. But if you just, you know, go onto Charlie Street's Instagram or onto our website, you, you won't actually know, you know, what we're looking to, to do. Like the branding is completely different. Our messaging has changed and, um, you know, our, our new website's yet to launch. So we're, you know, we're, we're, we're getting close to the finish line. So let me ask you this. Are you one of the, so are you going to ship this stuff like frozen to people? Yes, that's correct. Oh, cool. I mean, that's okay. We got to get into that. Explain that. I want to understand the economics of this whole thing. So let's go from, because I don't understand like bulk shipping prices and how you're I, I just take me through it all. Cause I don't understand or don't know enough about any of that. So let's start with like, are you going to have a minimum order? Yeah. So, so how we price our, our products is if you, if you, if you look at um, all the plant-based industry, the cheapest is going to be beyond meat at like 75 cents uh, an ounce. Right. And, how we price ours is similar to the other uh, frozen D2C players uh, between like $1.10 to $1.15 per ounce. And whilst that's sure. great from, from a gross margin uh, perspective uh, without, without co-packing arrangements, where we really get hurt, like it goes without saying, everybody listening to this will, will understand is the price to fulfill those orders are obscene. Right. So it, it is yeah. very expensive to send frozen boxes around. So as a result of that, our minimum order is uh, two, two pouches per box. And our mailer boxes go up to, to four pouches. So, you know, we, we certainly are looking to incentivize customers to purchase three or four at a time. And the way that we'll do that is via free shipping, um, et cetera, sure. um, just because it's, it's simply not economical to, to, to sell these things, um, you know, at, at one pouch uh, D to C. Yeah. Okay. And then what kind of box is it? Yeah. So how we send ours, and this is, this is really awesome and something that, you know, we're, we're pretty proud of our, our packaging solution um, at Charlie street, we think is, is pretty, um, you know, progressive in the way that we, we, we think about sustainability initiatives. So our mailer boxes aren't made from uh, paperboard products. You know, it's, it's nothing, you know, typically you'll have a, a wood pulp fiber that that's, uh, makes mailer boxes. So mm -hmm. ours is actually made from a tree-free paperboard. So it, it's, it's made from formerly wasted byproducts, typically of sugarcane. So it's upcycled food waste. So... Uh -huh. Obviously, that's that's great. It, it makes a lot of sense from a sustainability um, perspective, and it, it fits to our mission uh, in how we're trying to change the way not only the what people consume, but how they consume it. But look, the reality is they obviously do cost more money um, to Charlie Street, and and they are definitely a barrier to to entry for some folks. Um, but that's that's a kind of the incremental price that we're we're willing to pay at this point. Okay, cool, and then. How are you keeping it frozen? Are you doing like the, the water bag that you just freeze and just throw in there? Or um, is there some other way of like keeping it frozen? 
Yeah, so in so inside of the the, the mailer box, um, what what you'll have when you when you open up a, a box from Charlie Street is obviously the the product, and what's surrounded uh, by that is a green cell foam. Um, so once again, it can be um, deteriorated even in your in your sink if you to use water, etc. And then what what goes yep. outside of that? Um, in addition to that, is we have dry ice. So between three to three to five of, ah. of dry ice, and that's what keeps it frozen. Obviously, there's there's. Uh, no, no, are you another, gonna... yeah. oh, go on. Sorry. No, sorry, go on. No, no, go on. Sorry. No, uh, I was like curious. It's, where it's... You, are you going to be able to manufacture the, the dry ice yourself, or are you going to have to buy it and have it shipped in? No, so we're fortunate because the the partner that we're working with actually supplies that for us. So you know, we we don't you know that's we're definitely not in the business of you know creating and distributing dry ice. I wouldn't even. Honestly, I wouldn't even know where to start. <laughs> and you know, given the you know the safety precautions, um, the legalities, etc., it's best to leave that in the hands of the experts. Um, so that's what we do. Cool. And then you're obviously going to get some sort of. Are you going to be able to get some sort of bulk pricing on your shipping because you, you can't like afford to ship it slow, right? You got to get it there within 24 hours. I would assume. Yeah, that's right. So, so exactly. So, so how we're positioned um, as of today is we're only launching in the in the northeast, so New York, Massachusetts, like surrounding states, and that gives us the ability sure. to to utilize the um, closer shipping costs from the carriers, such as you know FedEx, um, USPS, etc. And then over time, um, as scale grows, we'll obviously inherit the the lower pricing. Um, and then in addition to that is um, you know, we have to move to, to another fulfillment center down in, in North Carolina and then one out um, on the West Coast as well, because it's just um, based on kind of the, the cost associated with shipping a frozen product from New York all the way to, to California is that it's quite, um, it's quite difficult. So hence, why oh, we, you know, we launch with being laser focused on the Northeast, um, prove out sales, prove out, you know, repeating uh, customers, et cetera, and then go from there. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, you got to, you know, for those of you guys that are listening out there, like this is a, a this is such a well thought out business plan because, you know, also just you can't afford like nobody's ever like heard of Charlie Street in California unless they visited New York, right? So like trying to break into those media markets and like and then just do, like you would lose money selling the product to those states, right? So like, it just doesn't make sense. Like you can build your brand. I mean, like just think about Facebook ads, like just your Facebook ads alone, you can really just target zip codes. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It would be yeah, so much easier. Exactly. exactly. And it's just like the, the problem is that, that we would see and, and look, this, the, the business plan has, has changed over time and sure. you know, myself and, and Dan, we work on the CPG uh, business uh, the most and, and, you know, we're the first ones to, to say that we, we're not experts in this and, you know, the way that our business model has been shaped over time has been taking um, advice from experts that have done this in their frozen space Um you know, and, and then from our new investors as well. Like it, it's certainly been a learning curve for us. But we think that the the position that we're in now is is a good one. And you know, to to your point, is we just we're not in the business of losing tons and tons of money per order by selling out to the <laughs> west coast for the the few folks that are doing it. I, I understand that there's 
you know, the, the world is awash with capital and, and many brands are getting a ton of money on their balance sheet. Um, and that's, that's fantastic. Hats off, hats off to them where, you know, one day we, we want to be across the country, but for right now, our goal is to, to prove to, you know, our next round of investors that, you know, we've done incredibly well in the Northeast by building a strong brand that's got great repeat, um, you know, purchaser rates. And then, oh, by the way, we've been, we've been smart in the way that we've been allocating our marketing um, spend. And, and now we're looking to, to launch on the West Coast and, you know, launch down South. Like that's, that's the milestone um, business that we've set for ourselves. Well, and let's be honest, too. I mean, the amount of people that live between, I mean, you're not even going into Pennsylvania right now, but I mean, the amount of people that live between like New York and Boston is probably one third of the country. You know, yeah. you have easily 100 million people on that eastern seaboard. So, uh, I mean, I grew up in Maryland. Um, so, yeah, it's like, it's not like, you know, you're launching this in Nebraska and there's like 500,000 people total within, you know, 500 miles of you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly, so. exactly. And, and like, and, and even like, in addition to, to that, obviously, that the density of people within these states is significant, and that's obviously fantastic for for the D to C model. Um, one one other area which is a huge focus point for us over time, and what many of our you know competitors are, are doing is like an omni channel approach, where they're also you know selling into high end grocery stores, and yeah, you know, obviously, everyone loves Irwan Market because it's just you know fantastic with respect to brands and everybody wants to shop there when they're out in, in LA and it's got a great recognition, yeah. but the Northeast have some pretty exciting, uh, you know, groups as well. Obviously whole foods is, is fantastic yeah. out here, but then, you know, Wegmans is a perfect example oh, um, I love Wegmans. over here on the Northeast. And, and if you, if you kind of look at the way that they lay out their store and, and how they you know, allocate plant-based items versus other meats is they're actually very forward and, and ahead of the curve with respect to stocking new brands. So that's, that's how we think of it. I don't think that we're missing anything by being laser focused on the Northeast in the, you know, the short term and nailing that and then taking it across uh, to the West coast. Um, otherwise we'll just be spread too thin. Yeah. And then the quality goes and the customer satisfaction goes and then shipping issues and, you know, it's just all blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, and then you just, you start to destroy your brand. You know, it was interesting because like part of our job, like what my company does is we really help like multi-location operations focus on the, the, the little things, the details of the day-to-day -day operations, which are, you know, they're not sexy. They're kind of a grind. But like great organizations like really focus on them and that's what makes them successful. And it's amazing how many like how how many restaurant companies really struggle with that. And I don't even know how much they even really care. Like I think they say they care, but I don't know how much they really care. But like, you know, yeah. they're also focused on growth and uh and nobody and and then the ones that are like really killing it are focused on growth, but they're also focused on the day-to-day -day detail operations of every single transaction. And, uh, and those are the guys that really make all the profits, right? The ones that are yeah. systems driven, they have processes in place, they love data, you know, all that stuff. Um, so cool. And I, so by the way, we've answered the first question, right? And I think we've kind of answered the second question too, but I'll throw it out there just in case. What's the big project or initiative you're working on right now? But I would assume it would be the CPG launch. <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah. um 
yeah, I think we've kind of covered that, um, to be honest. Like, it's it's laser-focused on the CPG launch and expanding that brand. So Sure. Um, so, you know what I want to do? I'm going to diverse from the questions a little bit. Let's talk – because you're a private equity guy, and so, like, I, I, I just want to get, like, a quick education, and I know a lot of people listening might have startups or, you know, they might have restaurants and they want to become franchisors or whatever they may be wanting to do. Let's talk a little bit about your capital raise. You don't have to get into that, too many details, but at a high level, as somebody who came from private equity and then somebody who was on the private equity side and then now was on the receiving side of private equity or venture funding, let's talk about that for a few minutes. As a former private equity guy, you know what were you looking for from the people you guys were investing in? And let's focus this uh, towards small businesses like you today. Not let's not talk about like huge hundred million dollar companies, right? That are trying to get a billion. Let's talk about the guys that are trying to get one to two million, you know, five months like that. Yeah, sure. So from the hat from when I was at Stepstone, looking from an investment point of view. Yeah, is sure. that what you're referring to? Yeah, sure. Well, look, let's I start there, that. and then let's go to what you just raised, so we get both sides of the coin. Yeah, sure. And like, in addition to, to Charlie Streets, I'm, I'm still an active angel investor. So you mentioned franchisees, franchisors. I'm an investor in a, in a group on the, on the West Coast uh, for a franchisee roll-up and, and it's doing, raising the same amount of money than what Charlie Street is doing. So it's, sure. it's, uh, I'm still kind of wearing both hats in, in that regard. So happy to kind of expand on, on what we look for. And, you know, yeah. obviously, it, it, the, you know, the game has completely changed when you're talking about writing checks of between, you know, a million to, to $2 million. I think it kind of goes without saying that when writing checks of, of that amount at that early stage, the most important thing is the the team and the kind of the founding story and what they're looking to do. I, I, I don't think any um, concept is worth investing in at that stage unless you've got a very you know, strong group of um you know, guys and girls working towards a, a goal that, that you believe in. And, and really it comes down to, I'm a massive believer in reference calls and, you know, reaching out to people on LinkedIn that I know have worked with them and, and contacting um, people that have had any type of interaction with the founders, because that's the best way to get a, you know, a better understanding of who they are as a, as a person and, you know, how they lead, um, et cetera. Like, um, that's that's definitely the the most important thing, and then obviously you know focusing on what they're looking to achieve um, and how they're differentiated in that market, and and if they can walk through kind of their business plan. Um, that that's that's really key. That's really key. Because you know a lot of times too, I suppose, and please confirm if I'm wrong here, but like a lot of times when you're dealing with these small companies. Uh, smaller companies, I should say, not necessarily small, but, you know, don't have as much revenue, you're really investing on the vision, right? Because, you know, someone's got 500 to a million dollars in revenue, you don't know, it's not the same, right? Like, you might not have the same track record, all the same financials, there may be zero EBITDA, you know what I mean? So, so you yes. really are just... So Betting yes. on the vision at that point. Yeah, of course. And it's that saying, like you're betting on betting on the jockey and the vision that they have. Um, and whilst that's all all well and good, every founder should be able to present a, you know, exciting, colorful, picture-friendly deck to a potential <laughs> investor and, and walk through the story. And and really, that's the first step. Anyone can do that. But it really comes down to kind of drilling into how they actually think they can achieve those things. And, you know, people sure. get quickly found out if they're unable to answer like simple questions or even have an understanding of um, things such as like, how are you going to get to profitability? Now they might be wrong. 
right? Like, you know, if you predict that you're going to be profitable in two years, there's every chance you won't be until three years or four years, whatever that may be. And you can't necessarily knock on a early stage founder for, for missing those, those targets, but they at least have to have them and have a, you know, blueprint plan of how they're going to get there. So without that, you know that they're not thinking about it. Therefore, they're not sure. thinking about the longevity of the business. They're not thinking about how it can be self-sustaining. Therefore, what is the point of really backing this this founder? So, that's my own personal personal view. I'm I'm sure others have uh, others, and I'm certainly not uh, you know the, the the number one investor going around in, in the space. But it's just it's something that um, I like to to go through when when investing in companies. Sure. Um, okay. So now let's talk about what you guys did at Charlie Street. So then you're now on the receiving side of this capital. Were you able to use, I, I would assume you were able to use your relationships to get this thing funded or did you have to go out and do a road show or, you know, blast out, hey, we're looking for seed capital? Look, honestly, it was uh, a bit of both in, in, in many ways. So the restaurant was funded from a handful of folks that were close to myself and the other uh, members of the team. And we, you know, we, we strummed up enough money to, to get a restaurant business up and going in, in New York City and, and prove that we were able to, um, to prove out that, that line of the business. With, with respect to you know, the uh, CPG side of things, is that's a, a fundraise that we've just closed uh, very recently. I uh, would love to kind of go through the the details of that, but it's a little too early, so I'll keep that close to my close to my chest. But um, yeah, that was done more in a uh, approach where reaching out to angel investors, reaching out to earlier stage VCs. Um, you know, admittedly, we started that that process um, you know at the end of last year, and you know that was probably a little bit too early for us to to go to market. Is you know reaching out to earlier stage VCs, they want to have some type of you know revenue. Um, in the ground um, happening. So obviously we weren't at that point uh, at that time. We've been fortunate to, to hit a few milestones kind of since then. And, um, you know, in hindsight, we're, we're lucky that we didn't raise money back then because the money that we're getting now is from, from you know, slightly more founder-friendly terms, I would say. And sure. kind of puts us in a position to, to give this CPG launch everything that it needs um, from a capital perspective. But... Uh, plenty of plenty of meetings uh, that we've done, plenty of pitches, and uh, it's kind of resulted where we are today in, in closing that round. And you know what? I, what I will say is like it's always been a you know a dream. Like obviously, investing in, in companies is fantastic, and I, I love doing it. And um, you know, it, it is my passion. But it's always been a dream to have the business that you've co-founded be on someone else's um, you know pitch deck, for example. And you know we've we've gotten that recently, and it's uh, it's a really good feeling having you know, support from some smart some smart folks in the industry. You know, so my company's bootstrapped. Uh, my business partner and I had another company prior to this that we shut down in 2015, and we took uh, the residual earnings from that business and we used it to fund this business. And uh, we've bootstrapped, and I, I have such a love hate relationship with. Uh, raising money. Um, some days, bootstrapping, the difference, so for those of you who don't know what bootstrapping is, bootstrapping is basically you fund it yourself and then you grow organically. And so, you know, the great thing about bootstrapping is, is that I own my entire, me and my business partners own our entire business. We, you know, and nobody can tell us what to do, but it requires so much patience. Like, 
like an ungodly amount of patience, which I am not a patient person. So like this has truly been just a, a, it's like getting it's like torture, you know, every day wanting to like, you know, hey, why can't I just throw 30 salesmen at this and be done with it? You know what I mean? But having to wait and earn the revenue to go hire the salesman is so much more brutal. Um, but, you know, it also gave us time to figure stuff out, right? Like, we don't have that uh, that upward pressure of people going, dude, if you don't make your numbers by March, it's over, you know? So, <laughs> so that's yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely pros and, and cons, hopefully, um, you know, I, I know that that type of stuff goes on, but um, hopefully yeah. neither of us are in a position where we're getting yelled at to um, to reach yeah. certain things. But um, well, what what are your thoughts? Do you, do you on your perspective, Tom, do you ever think that you should have done it another way now that you've had time to reflect on, on what you've been doing? You know, I, I'm going to say no. I feel like what we did was right because uh, I don't know that we would have ever been able to hit the – well. I think we could have figured stuff out faster if we had gotten money and we were able to hire some other people. They maybe we would have been able to like figure out some stuff faster than it took us to do on our own, right? So that would have been a huge benefit to everything. Um, but instead, because we kept it small and we grew organically, we're in a really good spot right now. And I do think, you know, I could see us in the next couple of years you know some major capital event happens whether we get acquired or you know whether uh you know we raise money to try to take it to the next level but you know i mean it it's 50 50 right like you know every i don't know yeah i mean you just got you need time to figure stuff out right and you need to be able to do it you know it's just not all obvious you know and sometimes yeah, the things are just little tweaks like we figured out and it took us to year five is that our initial message was like 98% what we launched with was 98% of what the current message is. And it, but it was two degrees off. Right. And it took us until last year to get that, that little tweak on the two degree message. You know what I mean? Yeah. That it was that sense. little tweak. You know what I mean? It was like, it's always the last 5% of anything is where all the like, you know, the, the hardest part is that just get everything dialed in. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just, you know, it's crazy. Because, and, yeah. and, and also like, it's, it's hard, man. This is all hard. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, have you, do you ever just sit back like with a cocktail and just go, I'm about to launch a frozen food line and just go like, what the hell? You know? Like, yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm, uh, yeah, don't get. I'm more of a. I prefer a beer than a than a cocktail. But that that is, you know, always reflect on on those kind of challenges. But it's it's um, it's worth it at the end of the day. Like it was, oh, uh, yeah, it, it's it's well worth it if you put in the time and and it's incredible the amount of people that that get around you to to support you and offer a helping hand when you're out, you know, trying to do your own thing. Um, it, it's it's definitely a rewarding experience, and I, I have no regrets on you know taking the leap of leaving a, a much higher paid job, um, you know, with benefits and time off, etc. Um, it's 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 been worth it so far. Benefits? What? What are benefits? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, because like my wife will introduce me like at a party or something. She'd be like, "Oh, he has an app." And people don't even know how to react to that. Like, you have an app? 
like what are you you know what i mean like what kind of app do you have you know what i mean or like whatever like if you tell people oh yeah i'm, I'm running this like i just created this frozen food vegetarian chorizo line they're gonna be like what the heck are you like people don't know how to react to that because people are used to hearing why well, i work at a bank or i work here or, you know um whatever it is but that's also what's like cool about this time in life. And what was interesting to me too, just on the podcast is how many founders I've met of food companies, which I had no clue, you know, the amount of people out here that were doing all this, like just creating all these different food brands and, and whatnot. That's like three beverage companies in a row. I have a guy who takes vegetarian sushi on the podcast out of like, san francisco you know like he's a certified master chef i got you like there's so many people that i've met that are just making companies like that make food you know yeah which yeah I, and look and it, it's look, crazy it makes it, make, it makes sense right like the, the the groups that we're seeing there's been obviously you know every quarter there's a, a proliferation of new brands that are coming out trying to achieve similar goals with respect to making you know better for your foods, more accessible. And it, it, look, it makes a ton of sense. We, it's, it's, it's very obvious why there's, you know, new brands emerging in the, in the food and, and bev space is that we recognize now and it's very apparent to everyone. And if you don't know this, you're living, you know, under a rock that we need to make change as a whole, um, especially, you know, with respect to the foods that we consume. And, and right now there, there simply isn't enough, um, you know, alternatives out there that allow the consumer to, to get, um, you know, cost-effective quality food. There's just simply just not enough of it. And, you know, the the industry is, is seeing incredible innovation at the moment and it's only going to continue to ramp up. And it's a factor of things need to change from a social and environmental perspective, number one. And, and number two is, like, at the end of the day, this is where the market's going and demand is going to be, then capital is going to be injected into companies that are uh, in a good position to, to, to benefit from those tailwinds. So look, it's not, this isn't going to change. There's going to be more and more to come and it's exciting. It's awesome seeing all of these new brands uh, emerge and, and it seems as though most of the people that we're meeting in the, in the space are going through the same problems as what we're going through. And we're all kind of, you know, trying to achieve the same thing and that's get to a point where we can, in a scale and serve you know millions of people um, and do so in a in a cost effective way and and not have to worry about what our you know products cost versus you know ground beef uh, for example um, sure. that's that's it and and it's exciting we're only at the start yeah. of this I think that's really cool um, okay so I guess we'll go to question three. I had one other question, but then it escaped my brain. So it'll come back in a minute. What is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? Oh, um, it was, some of this is, is tied into to what I was just mentioning there, but I think like, I'm going to separate this in, into two, into two ways. So obviously I'm, I'm sure. focused on the, the CPG side of things and that's, more the higher growth uh, trajectory of, of Charlie Street, but the, the the core business of the restaurant still exists today and it's still doing well and we want to keep that going. And the intention is to have, you know, a few more of these locations across the country to act, uh, act as marketing banners for the CPG brand. We think that there's a ton sure. of value there. So, look, in terms of what's kept us up at night, there's a lot of things on, on the restaurant side that's been obviously affected through, through COVID is... Yeah. 
you know, the, 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 the things that keep us up uh, at night from the restaurant uh, perspective is not knowing if, you know, we're ever going to go through another, um, you know, shutdown again with, you know, potential second strain, um, you know, of, of the virus that would, that would significantly impact our balance sheet in, in a way that could, that could end uh, the restaurant, if I'm being honest. If it was another 12 months of what happened last year, that would be very difficult for us to justify staying in business. So that's, sure. that's a huge one, um, what keeps us up at night. The second one is just the unknown of, of what's happening inside of New York City with respect to people leaving. So, you know, this time last year, the majority of our customer base um, downtown, no leader, had, had, had taken off to, to live with whoever it may be in other states and, and to enjoy a higher quality of life. Yeah, the jury's still out whether or not, you know, everyone's going to be returning to, to New York City and, and um, I'm sure it will over time. We haven't, we haven't seen the, the, all of our regulars come back, but, you know, the jury's still out whether or not everyone comes um, back or if people's starting to, you know, make that move a little bit more permanent. You know, we've all heard about the Miami, the Austin moves. Yeah. Um, it's not just the thing that keeps us up tonight thinking about are people going to come back after after September, but it's also keeps us up at night thinking, well, you know, over time are people are just going to continuously move out of out of New York City given the uh some of the things that uh, are negative um for the city, which you know I'm not going to go into right now. So they're 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 the main ones and then staffing is a is a big issue for the restaurant as well. It isn't being yeah. um you know we would used to send out applications for certain roles and we'd get a couple of hundred applications. Um, nowadays, you know, you're lucky to get 10 in, in, depending on what the role is. So, you know, that's, that's something that hopefully changes, um, over time, but that's something that keeps us up, um, at night at the moment on the restaurant side for sure. Uh, and then I guess like the, the main thing that I'm really kind of focused on and what keeps me up at night is more long-term with respect to the CPG market and, um, really tying it back into what I was saying previously, obviously there's been, um, you know, countless amount of brands entering the space, which is absolutely fantastic, um, attempting to build a brand, affect change, et cetera. I do worry that, you know, I, I just, the pricing uh, aspect of, of these products and where they're going to gravitate over time is certainly a, you know, a trouble thing for me, you know, looking at it from an investment lens. Um, I've noticed that, you know, plant-based products at Whole Foods, et cetera, like you look through Spins data and the, the average price has actually come down, um, you know, from most products over the last one to two years. So if that, whilst it's fantastic for the consumer, plant-based products continuously getting, um, you know, price decreases, it's, it's really great. The only issue is for me thinking about it is in order to get there, it's just going to be coming a, you know, a cost-saving game. And then the way that people do that is they cut corners and introduce certain ingredients that can be you know, mass-produced, et cetera. And then we lose sight of actually what we're trying to achieve with, with transitioning to a plant-based diet. So sure. that's what keeps me up at night is, is understanding where that pricing parity will be in two to five years time. And then uh, moving forward to what consumers are willing to pay versus animal-based proteins uh, versus what can actually be produced at a quality level for, for plant-based products. Yeah, I could see that because, you know, the problem is, and, and probably one of the best and worst parts about Amazon buying Whole Foods is that, Whole Foods is cheaper now, right? And Certainly so, is. and and that's great. 
like, because I'm actually, I have a Whole Foods and what we have is a Kroger, but it's called King Supers. I live in Colorado. And, uh, you know, I'm actually the Whole Foods, Amazon, Alexa, Trifectorate is like amazing because, you know, like, I don't know if you have an Alexa, but like we use the shopping list on Alexa, but then it, there's a button there that goes, hey, you want to shop at Whole Foods? You push it. And they have the best interface by bar none, I think, for ordering groceries. But, like, I can see it from you, too. It's, like, it's going to be a race to the bottom, um, especially with the Whole Foods 365 brand competing against that, which they're mass producing, you know. And it's, like, you know, if they suck all the margins out of the space, that's going to – it's going to hurt people, uh, you know, smaller people, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So. And it, it's not look it's not and that's definitely how we think about it there are some other items that 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 will benefit us over time versus some of yeah. you know the the comps in that like obviously as um third party logistics continue to to improve across the country um as shipping prices come down it's going to make it easier for um you know brands to build a you know a loyal following um through their consumers and, and send to them directly so um there's a lot to play out um and really, it's yeah. not just one, one, one. There's going to be so many factors that 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 impact this, and um, it's just really about keeping keeping your eyes on it and and trying to position yourself in the, in the best way possible to not only survive it but also kind of benefit from the the the, um, the benefit um, tailwinds that are going to happen. Well, yeah, I mean, and you know, and that's what we're all battling, right? Like, what everybody who's out of business is battling all of these different constantly shifting things. The the converse to that is that if plant based products become more prevalent in the marketplace, then the pro then the ingredients themselves will get cheaper as more and more people are growing organic this and organic that because they can sell more of it. So then, in theory, your food costs might come down accordingly as prices as competition drives prices down. So, you know, I mean, that's just capitalism, right? So we all have to play the game. Um, yeah, that was really more of a statement, not a question, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, number four, what is the one thing you thought your industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Um, look, this one just comes down to kind of quality of what's happening inside of the, you know, the, the plant-based industry. It's, it's certainly getting better. Um, again, like so many brands are, are launching and um, it looks like we're getting better and better with respect to what's going into uh, these plant-based alternatives, how they're packaged, um, et cetera. But like, I think that the problem whilst it was absolutely fantastic, don't get me wrong, some of the, the names that we know, you know, publicly listed um, groups yeah. that sell, you know, their patties um, everywhere have just done an incredible job of, of, you know, putting this movement towards plant-based eating in, you know, the spotlight. And it's created so much positive awareness about, you know, some of the things that we need to change as a group. And that's, that's, that's all well and good and fantastic. The one thing that you know is everybody kind of knows is that you know the quality of the products that are being um, you know, produced right now aren't as good as what you know typical you know someone that would want um, if they are conscious about their health um, and the environment, etc. Therefore, you know I think that the, the focus hasn't been on quality; it's really been focused on mimicking meat, right? And and yeah. by doing that is you invest capital and and deploy resources into things that aren't, I think, the most important um, over time. 
um, understand that they, they, you know, they want their their burger, their patties to bleed like like a you know animal product. You know, I, I can understand why they want to do that. But look, as as a result, is it's just oh. we're focusing on the wrong things. I think we need to focus on better for you plant based products that is you know strictly made out of whole foods and no artificial garbage in them. And once we you know once we kind of do that, and there are brands that are doing that now. Obviously, you know, Charles Street does that, but there are other brands that are emerging now that are doing that. So let's hope that those other brands and Charlie Street can can build enough of a following and kind of demonstrate to people that you can eat plant based meat alternatives uh, without sacrificing you know the the health and nutrition aspect that that the people are currently doing right now. You know, you mentioned that. So like, uh, I I thought it was weird that they made the the patties like bleed like burgers. Or, or or secrete fat like burgers. I guess it's already bleed like to be juicier. Like I, I think you want a juicy product, right? I get that, but like I think they really spent some time trying to figure out how, if you squeeze that burger down, it would look exactly like a normal hamburger, right? I think that was yeah. odd. Uh, of of like course, it just kind of weirded out. Yeah, and it's like I I understand why you know they 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 do it. Um, obviously, it's still appeal to a to a to a huge market, and somehow like make the consumer think that they're not missing out. It's the exact same product. Like this is this is well known. Like the chairman of, of Beyond Meat has made that very clear that you know they've invested considerable dollars to make sure that that's the that's the experience, right? It's the the experience for that product is you feel like it is you're cooking a meat-based product, right? That's, that's, that's a big differentiating factor for them. Um, so I understand, understand why they did it. It's just, uh, it's just a different focus point from, from our perspective and, and, um, you know, there's pros and cons to, to both. I just think that the way that we, the way that we think about the plant-based movement and where it's going to be, um, you know, over the long term, it's it's less to do. And look, I, I want to be careful because I don't want to offend um, like vegans sure. on this on this uh, re- uh, listening to this. But we think that the the long term trend isn't going to be driven by people's um, fear or um, disgust with with what it looks like for an animal to be to be uh, farmed and, and processed. While that's you know not something that we ever want to think about, I don't think that that is going to be what changes people's minds with respect to plant-based eating. We think that people gravitate towards plant-based eating, not because they're scared to see a chicken go through the, the manufacturing process, but because they're scared for, the, for their health, right? They want to adopt a, a better program with respect to eating. And second to that, and which is just like getting marketed like crazy right now and will continue to do so, is, is people want to affect change with respect to social injustices as well as environmental change. And we know that the best way to do that is to begin to eat more plants and take animal meat out of our diet. And that's really where we think that the growth is going to come from. Um, you know, I'm a perfect example of that. Um, I just We just think that that's, that's the way people are going to adopt plant-based foods. And, sure. and really, like, the, the core groups right now aren't focused on that, um, whereas some of these smaller emerging brands are. And hats off to them. You know, we want to see them exceed as much as we want to see ourselves succeed. Awesome. Let me ask you this question because uh, I just got diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, which like, runs in my family. But, like, what's the carb levels on some of this stuff? Just out of curiosity because I, I didn't look at the nutrition labels, but. 
Yeah. So look, I'm not going to jump into the hyper-focused nutritional aspects of their products versus ours. And the reason why I'm not going to do that oh. is the other co-founder and executive chef, um, Dan Churchill is the, the gentleman that answers that um, for everyone. Oh, yeah. like I'm, it's, I don't have a master's in nutrition. I'm not a personal trainer in that regard. I oh, yeah, yeah. don't uh, kind of uh, preach to, to people exactly what the changes that they need to be having. The way that we, we talk about it is in order to you know, reduce some of the, you know, the key problems in, in the United States through you know, whether it's, um, you know, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, as you mentioned, is to, you know, change the way that your, your diet leans towards more plants, et cetera, and less artificial foods. So, oh, yeah. you know, we, we, we have a comp set that we kind of demonstrate and, and show to folks like for our investor round, for example, we've got a clear outline of, you know, our nutritional label versus, you know, another 10 more, actually, I think 14 comps that we have and we kind of highlight where the sodium levels are versus the protein, dietary fibers, et cetera. And it's a pretty convincing case by just looking at those, but because I'm not an expert in that, I, I don't feel like sure. it's probably not appropriate for uh, oh, okay. to say those things. Oh yeah. No, I was just more talking for myself because I'm trying to eat more vegetables, right? And less carbs. So I was just more kind of curious where some of that stuff kind of came down on the carb. Line. Yeah, well, because, and that's 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 like yeah. that's it's great that you're changing towards that uh, that model, and it's it, it seems to be that's what's the driving trend behind all of this is that people aren't um, strictly ruling out meat altogether, but they're just making incremental changes to their diet over time that that puts them in a better place tomorrow than what they were yesterday. Absolutely, yeah, and I mean, let's be honest, we have a huge uh, overweight problem and obesity problem in this country. And I mean, it, all the health effects that go with it. And I'm not a, you know, I'm not obese. I'm like, you know, I, every grandparent had diabetes. So, you know, it was coming my way. There was nothing I was going to do to dodge it, but it got here quicker than I expected. Anyway, uh, cool, man. So we're here on number five. Uh, give us a war story or a funny cringeworthy kind of story about something that, um, you know, something that you can't believe you got through or, you know, whatever. Oh, I don't, yeah, I'm probably not great at this. There's been a ton of them, uh, that's for sure. I think like the, the biggest cringeworthy one and, and scary moment uh, living in, in New York City actually all ties back to Charlie Street times COVID times timing um, of, a, of a few things. Like the, like I, I you know, we're, we're very, obviously unfortunate in many ways with being shut down in New York City. But then on the flip side, taking a positive note, it's the most scariest experience that I've been through in New York City was a month before the lockdowns happened. Um, we were we were kicking goals at that time, just before COVID. Everything was going well at Charlie Street and we had had some investors um, come in to, to launch a couple more stores throughout New York City. And we were... About a day away, I'm not even kidding, I think it was exactly like three days away from signing a, a lease down. And it was incredible space. It was absolutely beautiful. We were thrilled to have it um, down in the in the financial district, actually underneath the Freedom Tower. So it, like it looked out oh, wow. onto the Freedom Tower. And that was like so awesome. And I, I couldn't even wait to tell my family. I didn't tell them until uh, I wasn't going to tell them until we signed, et cetera. That was going to be uh, a little over $27,000 a month in rent and we'll sign a, uh, a 15 year lease uh for that just 
the economics of our restaurant in No Leader at the time was making sense. And our theory, in addition to other strategies that we were launching, was to uh, enter into a high business, you know, density area and, and uh, you know, perform. And quite honestly, like if we had assigned that just before and if we were in a position to like having to... Uh, you know, commit to making those payments. I wouldn't be on this. I wouldn't be chatting with you right now, Tommy. I'd probably be back in Australia because, you know, we would have gone bankrupt, to be honest. Like that was, it was that yeah. close to, um, you know, the world has changed overnight for the, for the restaurant industry. And it's very, you know, a shame that so many people didn't, didn't make it out um, in New York City. But, you know, some people like Charlie Street, this situation is just luck. That yeah. was uh, that was just you know really lucky, and that's really the, my biggest my biggest war story is like just getting out of out of last year, and even being in a position to actually try to last last year because if we had to sign that lease, it would have been would have been game over. I know. Uh, the more I get older, and I've been watching that show alone. Have you ever watched that show alone where they just drop somebody off in the middle of the wilderness and they have to survive? You know. Well, I haven't. So, I've heard of it. it. It's kind of addictive. Like I, I watched the first few seasons in like a weekend. Like I couldn't stop. And uh, but anyway, it's really interesting if you're an outdoorsman and and you like you know, how they deal with all this stuff. But so much of that show is like the thing that like there's all these people are super capable, right? But so much of it is luck, which you know you can't like account for luck. Like, like literally one. You know, had you guys been super eager and maybe more organized, you would have rushed in there and signed that thing. And then that landlord might have been like, hey, man, sorry, COVID's COVID. You got to pay me. You know what I mean? And then you would have been like, no, you know, like, it's crazy to think that like that that kiss came down to that. That's nuts. Yeah, so we are we are lucky, and it wasn't because we weren't too eager. Uh, it was a hundred percent. We weren't organized. We we probably could have gotten that uh, deal done a week or two in advance. So luckily, uh, luckily we didn't. Yeah, so crazy, man! Wow, to think that that whole thing could have been like on that one little precipice decision—that's nuts. Well. Great interview, Kieran. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you want to? Uh, I'll put the Charlie Street website uh, on on the podcast show notes. But is there anything uh, that you want to plug in addition to that um, right now? No, I think we've, we've look. We've gone through it. Uh, what I'll say is the the link that if in the in the show notes will actually take you to our existing uh, website. So uh, yep. if you if you're a member, feel free to press the, the the same link in about three weeks' time for when we launch the the new website, etc. But um, no, look, greatly appreciate uh, your time as well. This has been this has been great, and um, yeah, thank you for thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. And then to all you guys that are listening, we're going to keep the interviews coming. We really appreciate you listening to the show and we'll talk to everyone soon.